0: And one of the things that I just learned is that I really need to change. I need to become more humble. You know, it's not about being the biggest guy in the room. It's about being the most humble in the room. So I think having written goals, being deep in your faith, but really asking people, what am I missing? People who will be honest with you. And people who you ask are like, I'm not saying anything, you kidding me, I want to be your friend, I don't want to lose our friendship, you know, and, you know, you even have to prime the pump, you have to say, look, I'll tell you one thing, if you tell me one thing, we'll help each other. What's my blind spot? You know, what don't I see? What am I truly missing?
1: All right and welcome to another episode of The Hospitality Mentor. Today I'm very excited to have a dear friend Paul Breslin, managing director of Horwath HTL, and I'm sure as we get into the conversation one of the reasons I started in hospitality. But Paul, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Thank
0: you, Steve. I'm so excited to be here as well and uh, looking forward to it. Looking forward
2: to it.
1: Paul, you've got such an interesting journey in hospitality and we always love starting. For the listeners, you're going to hear me say it over and over again. Your first job in hospitality, Paul, what was it that made you fall in love? What was that position?
0: Well, my first job was actually a dishwasher at the Lake Placid Hilton in 1979. And I don't know if that's what made me fall in love with it, <laughs> but but I was going to Paul Smith's College School of Hospitality, and my professor was... A, a, an employee there actually his son was the food and beverage director wow. and he suggested if anyone wanted a job to go out there they were hiring and from Paul Smith, it's a 26 mile drive through the mountains to Lake Placid and I remember making the drive and I, I you know I, I had to borrow a jacket and suit and a tie and I was just drove out there no appointment and you know your head is a student college I started convincing myself that they're going to want to hire me and I'm going to You know, because I owned my own business when I was in high school. I was a landscaper and maintenance. I said, "Bet they want me to be a manager, maybe the assistant general manager. (laughs) And then when I got there, they said to me, we're not accepting applications except between nine and 11 in the morning. I'm like, oh, and long story short, I finally got in front of somebody. They said, all we have is a part time dishwasher. And I said, I'll take it. And they said, we didn't offer it to you. (laughs) No, but I love the business. It's it's I've been in it. Love it. It's just outstanding.
1: So when you, as you started, you know, listen, you had the big dreams in your head. Do you remember your first day of just walking in and washing the dishes? I,
0: I do. I went in there and I was pumped. And I said, I'm going to be the best dishwasher they ever had. And they let me know I wasn't. You know, they were <laughs> like, you're okay. And I was like, really? And they're like, yeah. You know, there's harder workers. And so I was like, wow. But i did i became really good within a short order they moved me from behind the dish machine into front of the dish machine same salary and everything but it was a big promotion it was cool because it was an opening of a hotel and i got to see it and they let us come to meetings and see things and they knew i was a college student i think the food and beverage director was just busting my chops to try to see if i was really willing to work hard he's but trying to
1: break you he's trying to break you in your first
0: break job I do remember him teaching me. And when they scraped the plates, he said, you know, if the, if the creamers are not open or the sugar packets haven't been wet, we keep those. <laughs> I never forgot. That.
1: <laughs> Man, I'm sure you brought that with you, too.
0: It's all about what you flow, you know, how you make money on the bottom line, not on the top.
1: <laughs> so All right. So let's get back to your journey here. So you're in college. You're doing that. When did what did you do once you got out of college? Did you continue in hotels?
0: I did. My career during college did escalate quite a bit. I I went from that to busboy, and the busboy was really I tell often tell people that's my first real job, because it was full time, and I learned the business from that position. And uh, that's going to be the name of my book is the busboy. But I, I I went on to be a waiter, and then a, a barback, then a bartender, and assistant manager, all that. But while I was in school, I, I really, and I tell this to the students, stay working, even if it's part-time in a banquet waiter, a restaurant, it doesn't matter. And work for the best company you can get. You know. So my journey really never stopped through school. I went on after I went to go to an internship in Chicago with Marriott Great America. That's back when Marriott ran theme parks. Now it's Gurney and uh, now it's Six Flags and Gurney. And I didn't it was, know that. Yeah, it was a great training program. I mean, it was phenomenal. You know, we were like paid. We were one step above a slave because our pay was like $3 an hour. And we worked our just sweat I mean, it was hard work, but it was great learning. I learned about manpower controls and scheduling. I became a supervisor of a restaurant. I had eight, I had 60 employees all under 18. And it was really a great experience. Oh, and I also, the other great experience in Paul Smith was the Olympics. In 1980, I was there in the Lake Placid Hilton for the Olympics. I was also a VIP bartender at ARA. And it was so much fun because I got to meet, you know, famous ice skaters and all that kind of stuff.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It was
0: cool. We had a lot of fun and again, learning and experiencing. And it was, you know, making mistakes. It's okay.
1: That's awesome. So you did that through college. You graduate. Well,
0: graduated by the hair of my chinny chin chin i was magna cum lucky not magna <laughs> cum as my father used to say good thing you're a hard worker because i was not the best student ironically i'm a professor now for 16 years i've taught at three different universities and i have multiple degrees but it's interesting how you know i didn't know what i didn't know so i graduated there and friends of mine we're looking for more college because the jobs at the time were plentiful, but low paying. And they said, mm-hmm. if you get a second degree, you get more money. So I went and it was freezing cold up that we were in Lake Placid, as you can imagine, in the right. winter. It was there was two months. It wasn't winter. So we went to Miami. We went to FIU.
1: Amazing. And, and what year was that?
0: 1982. Wait. I, yes. 81. 81. And I graduated there in 83. But as you may know, this part, my first job was at TGI Fridays because it was near my house. And that was one of the greatest experiences because they are the best trainers I've ever seen. Testing you, training you, monitoring you. Back then we used to do polygraphs, but I was a real food and beverage guy at the time, as you can imagine. Mm hmm. And I went to my dean, uh, Dean Lanton and Tony Marshall was the associate dean. And I said, what's the best hotel in Miami that I should work at? I want to work at the best. And they said the Fontainebleau, which happened to be 26 miles from where I lived. So I thought there was a sign there, you know? Yeah. And I went to the Fontainebleau and it's a long story, but I became a back waiter. And then they moved me. But shortly after I met the food and beverage director, who was a Paul Smith's graduate. So stay in your alumni, stay connected to your alumni. They can really help
1: you. Who owned the hotel at that time when you started? Steve Moss. Steve okay.
0: Moss was the owner, but it was an incredible hotel. I mean, we were the biggest and best in the, in Miami and we had, I think, 2000 employees. And knowing your dad in the labor business, I, I didn't know this at the time, but they were pushing me hard to be a union employee. And I was so anti-union. I was like, no way. Mm hmm. And my dad, of all people, said, you know what? You should join. You'll never, ever get the experience again in your life to be a union employee. And what an amazing experience you could have. So I did it. And I got to go into the union hall, and I got to be part of the union, and I paid ridiculous money, and, and I got to see it from the other side. As you know, years later, I became the director of human resources at the Fontainebleau many years later. And I knew the guy who was our shop, not shopster, but the uh, president of the union. It was kind of cool.
1: So looking back, I want to make sure I connect all this. So listeners, my father's labor and employment attorney started working with Paul when he was director of human resources, which we'll come back to. Yeah, but when you were coming through the Fontainebleau, right, you came in. I think you were a bartender at one point, right? What position were you when you joined the union? I
0: joined as it was as close to a busboy as you could get. But Mm -hmm. they had back waiters. Again, that busboy thing. And I learned five star service, Garadon service. We we were in the dining galleries. It doesn't exist anymore, but it was a it was one of the highest rated restaurants in America.
1: What was it called? Dining Dining galleries.
0: Galleries. It was really spectacular. And then eventually when I became a waiter, I don't think we ever left that restaurant with less. This is back in 1981 to 83. I don't think we left less than $150 cash in our pocket as a waiter.
1: So for my own selfishness, so I've been watching the cocaine cowboy series on Netflix now. Was that <laughs> happening around the Fontainebleau with was, all the craziness and every cash crazy, everywhere?
0: Crazy, crazy stuff. There was a, uh, we were the place where a lot of these people would come. With just money. I mean, we had many clients pay with cash back then.
1: It was funny. That's amazing.
0: Yeah. And I mean, we had everything from athletes to legitimate politics, everyone, you know, it was just the best. And if you came to Miami and you were wealthy, you probably ate in the dining galleries or the Joe Stone Crab. And, you know, we would turn more covers away than we would book. It was all months and months advance reservations. And it was really special.
1: That's amazing. So you continue as you grow all the way through that.
0: I did. They also put me through some really great. I I wanted to learn, so they let me work in room service, banquets, stewarding. Kind of got the whole hotel experience, and then right before I graduated, shortly before, I spent some time at the front desk because I wanted to see. And back then they had a rack system. You know, they talk about rack rates and Mm -hmm. where the rack comes from. So we had a we had a wall that was. Really, 18 feet high. We used sticks to, to, the, and there was 1,222 rooms on the rack,
1: and that's I how didn't know was. that where it came from. Yeah, so people were just exactly. moving prices around on a giant wall.
0: Yeah, and if you were the top of the rack, was the highest price for that room, and based on the color, and because we couldn't see the numbers, so we you ended up using colors to price the rooms. And then the the further down it went, the more months. Every square was a month. You know, each room had its own little category. But you can imagine there was, you know, there was like 144,000 numbers up there. And, you know, somebody. And then the room next door was a reservation. And they had something called a computer, you know.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So you got a giant wall with colors and they have a computer next door. There was
0: a computer. It wasn't really quite a computer, but there was probably 25 people in reservation, maybe 30. And PBX was the cords. We literally had the cords. That plugged and into little were,
1: holes like you see in the old school yeah, movies.
0: Right. And we had a very fancy key system. It was uh, I can't remember the name of it, but it, it had a color code so you could pop out the middle of the key. Instead of changing the key, they changed the, the, the number and then we would change the cylinders around. we rotate them. No, so you couldn't figure out. So nobody got the same key. you know, Because yeah. everybody stole their key at the Fontable, you know.
1: To say they were there.
0: To say they were there. That so well, was a really unbelievable experience. But I was Hilton. It was Hilton at the time. And I wanted to work. And, and everybody said the job to get at Hilton was to be the trainee at the Waldorf Astoria. And because I had trained already at the Fontainebleau, Hilton offered me an actual job. And they thought they were doing me a favor. And I said, no, no, I want to be a trainee. And they're like, no, you don't understand. You make nothing as a trainee. And we're already offering you like two levels above the trainee. And it didn't matter. So you went to Fontainebleau and you went to? Sheridan, Harbor Island, San Diego. And it was because they had a training program, a general manager training program. And that title just, you know, but... I should have taken the other trip, <laughs> no, but I learned so much with Sheridan. I was his was pre-Starwood. This pre-star, is ITT Sheridan. Okay. It a great time. Great time. And of course, San Diego is about the only other place you can go from Miami because it was like paradise going to paradise, you know, and beautiful. And we had two hotels. One was 800 and, 820 rooms. The other one was 400 and something. So it was a two big hotels uh, that we used to call the other one, the small one, but the small one was five star. And the big one was a big convention center hotel, just like the Fontainebleau at the time.
1: I want to come back. So you were at the Fontainebleau, you left there as a what position? Were you a bartender at that time? No,
0: at that point I did bartend in the in the banquets, but I, I was really a full time. I was really what they called a, a not a cap, yeah I guess it was a captain. It was the the waiter, front waiter at the Fontainebleau at the dining gallery.
1: You are in the uh, union still, right? In the union, and then you said, all right, I want to become the trainee to get on the general manager course. Yes,
0: exactly. And the job I turned down was at the Miami, the Hilton, was opening up a new hotel out at the airport, a beautiful hotel.
1: So you left there, you go to San Diego training. What starts happening there? Because I want to get to where you first became a manager.
0: Okay. So I'll just share this quickly. When I was interviewing for the trainee job, they wanted to make me a food and beverage. They said, you'll become a GM faster. And again, my dad said, you know, try to learn what you don't know. And I didn't know accounting and I didn't know human resources. In fact, they didn't even call it that. They called it personnel. Mm-hmm. So when I picked my elective, because you had to you had to pick a, a path, GM trainee, but you had to pick a path. They assumed it was food and beverage because of all my background. Right. And I said, no, I I want either accounting or human resources. And when I interviewed with them, it was highly competitive to get this selection. You had to fly to Boston and everything It was really you had to go through multiple rounds. But in the interview, I mentioned how I thought they did it. They did a disservice to the guest by not giving employees air conditioning in the locker room at the Fontainebleau. And my interviewer was so impressed with that, that she gave me the path of human resources, even though I had no clue what they did. I told her, well, you guys do paperwork, right? You know, I had no <laughs> idea. So I went to become a GM in Harbor Island, finished that, had a great learning experience there. And then my, net, my first assignment as a department head was in Denver. And I was there, but they immediately in that hotel, there was no assistant GM. So I kind of became the assistant GM right away. I mean, I because I volunteered to do anything and everything because I was there by myself. So I volunteered to drive the van. I volunteered to work in the restaurant. To I could cook, you know, whatever you needed, I could do it. We were a full service airport hotel.
1: And you were the number two there.
0: And I became the quasi number two. I was just a department head, but there was really only four department heads. <laughs> And the GM was wonderful. She took me under her wing, Lynn Ross, now Darty. She shielded me became the president of Sheridan, but wow. she was amazing. So she gets promoted to New Orleans at 1200 Room Hotel. And she says, Paul, I know you want to go be a GM, but come here. You'll learn so much. Come here and be one of my department heads. So I did. I went there and became a department head in New Orleans and human resources. department.
1: Human resources.
0: Human Okay. Uh, I was really good at compute. No one had computers back then. So I bought an, I, I bought a computer, an IT computer. It cost me $35,000, twenty five thousand, twenty twenty thousand $20,000. Wow. And my wife then girlfriend thought I was crazy, but we bought through the credit union that got us a discount through ITT and I was the only guy who had a computer. So that became my claim to fame. I knew how to do computers and then guess who called me. I was there for a while. And then the font, Hilton called me to come back to the, well, they wanted Orlando, so I was interviewing for Orlando, but when I was in, in the interviews, they said, you know what, the, we need you to go to the Fontainebleau. Now I went back as the Director of Human Resources. I was there as Director of Human Resources, the GM and I became a great friend, a good mentor, and he taught me and he gave me the first break to be the Executive Assistant Manager. And that's where I ultimately became management. And then I moved to Atlanta and then Omni and, you know, through the another, then back with Sheridan as GM, you know, and just through the ranks. So the real break for me was at the Fontainebleau under Leo Salome. And he taught me so much and yeah. just incredible. And, you know, it as it's all about what you do to be a GM. You got to be that, you got to be the MOD and you got to volunteer to do you know, run, learn how to be in sales, learn how to be the front desk manager, how to do everything. Don't let your title inhibit you. Let it be an opening door to you as yeah. well. So,
1: uh, that's what I want to get to. When you're a director of human resources, you get to the Fontainebleau director of human resources, right? And traditionally, I don't know many people who've taken the path from human resources to GM, but, right? And so, of, yeah. so how do you director of human resources, gigantic, Iconic hotel, the Fontainebleau, right? Make that transition. Was it you being, you were telling people you wanted that? Was it you were asking for it? They saw something in you and came to you. How did you make that transition?
0: It was my mentor, Bob Turk. (laughs) What did he say? You think I'm joking, but I got to the hotel. And the first thing that's on my desk is the hotel's going to go to strike. And I'm like, really?
1: That's your first day?
0: First day. And Henry... Oppenheimer came in my office and slammed down demand or were going to strike because they were in negotiations and it was going bad. I called Tony Marshall. I said, Tony, I need a labor lawyer. He said that I cannot get you a name of a labor lawyer. That would be totally inappropriate for me to recommend a labor lawyer. I'm, I'm the head of FIU. And he basically hung up on me. And amazingly, the phone rang and it was a guy named Bob Turk calling he says a little friend of mine told me that I might want to call you. True story. Tony's passed away, so I can tell this now. Yeah. And, uh, and I said, "Yes, are you a labor lawyer?" He says, as "A matter of fact, I am." I said, "Come on over. I need you right now." So he comes over, and we and we hit it. We became best friends, as you know. I mean, it, immediately. And it was a it was the biggest mess in every department. And Bob really was in, unbelievably instrumental. Not only did we not go on strike, but we we wound up negotiating one of the most favorable agreements for management, changed all these work rules, but we really had the best interest of the employees at heart. It sounds crazy, but their agreement was hurting both management and employee. It was so poorly done. So we changed all these work rules. We changed everything. So it really opened up. I became uh, a hero with them because we had, we became having ability to have a functioning hotel. Arthur Cern was the GM at the time. No, I'm sorry. He had just left. Leo took over. Leo Salaam took over. And it was really a big change. But from the day I interviewed for the director of human resources, in fact, I think even from the time I interviewed as a trainee, the question wasn't when or if it was, how do I become a GM? What is the, what do I have to do to become the GM every step of the way? And I had a, I had a, a personal mentor who really, you know, I had several that coached me. Like live, be the men, be the GM before you become the GM. Remember that I told you that.
1: Yeah, you told me that, and I did it. I loved it. It helped me. Every it worked,
0: day. right? All of a sudden, you were making GM decisions, and and uh,
1: now I tell the GMs,
0: be the owner before you are the owner.
1: I love it. And for for listeners to go back, where he mentioned Bob Turk, my dad. You know, was this is the reason I got into hotels. So I, t- I had the chance to tell this to Paul, but I remember as a 10 year old, I guess, was running around the Fontainebleau Frank Sinatra suite because Paul to me was like, you know, Wizard of Oz put me in this giant suite that was multiple rooms, best room in the house. And it was like the most ornate place. And then, oh, you want a cookie? Yeah. Let's just go down and see the chef and the pastry chef will make you something in this giant back of house. And, oh, you want to watch a movie? Like whatever movie you want to watch on TV, it's on us. And I was like, man, this is amazing. It always stuck with me. But I'm glad that was the intersection that if my dad yeah. didn't make that call we wouldn't be on this uh, podcast oh, all these years later. Thank but anyhow, back to where yeah, you journey so
0: and and you know I've been a huge fan and and so many connections to where you came from the lows Sabina Tonarelli when she left us she went there and became Al- and then Alex Tonarelli who as you oh, know yeah. he, became, he was my both Sabina and Alex were my
1: interns. Did you know that was No, sick? I don't think I knew that. Well, maybe yeah, you've told yeah. me over dinner, and oh, maybe it was, Yeah, was both. But he's now at Ocean Reef. So listen, Alex Tonarelli is the president of Ocean Reef, which is one of the biggest resorting complexes in the country down in Key Largo. And Sabina, his sister, was a very influential director of human resources across South Florida, still is, so, uh, but she hired me at the Lowe's. So again, small world.
0: She's the best, and they're both the best. And, and you know, people always... You know, we're really not a complicated business. We're a difficult business, but we're not complicated. You know, we hot food, hot, cold, food cold, friendly service. And then from the leadership side, you know, lead by example and don't do anything you wouldn't want done to you. You know, the the platinum rule, how they want to be treated, not how That's you right. think they want to be treated. And those things really stick with you and you become incredibly successful. And I mean, it's funny how, how many presidents I've met, all these executives, but it's that fundamental and it's not easy. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you're the master of a multi-million dollar business and it's very difficult, but it's the basic foundation of what we do every day is fun. You know, it's just good old fashioned service and having a servant's heart.
1: It's amazing. Yeah. So you're at the executive assistant manager now at the Fonta yeah. Right. You, and, you transition from director of human resources into that role, which was
0: brutally hard and mm-hmm. full disclosure for anybody who's struggling, wanting to get promoted. Don't quit if you can fight it out and get promoted. I, I look for that on resumes. Look for that upward position. It really makes a difference. Uh, like your story, going from pool attendant all the way to you know, executive yeah. office. And um, my first job was actually what we called executive assistant manager p.m., which meant you were kind of in charge at night. And remember, I left this huge position of I was the right hand person at the GM's desk. You know, I mean, very influential in Union Hotel with 2,000 employees. Mm -hmm. Now I'm like cleaning toilets and making beds and parking cars and whatever. This is okay. This is what I wanted. I was I thought I died and went to heaven. I was so happy being out, being playing. I called it playing hotel manager. And then one of the executives got promoted. So the dominoes fell. and I moved up to rooms division, executive assistant manager. Now I'm in charge of the most profitable part of the hotel
2: mm-hmm.
0: and, and thousands of employees, literally not thousands, hundreds of employees and big money, you know, really big responsibility. And you're right next to, I was in the closet next to the GM, not the office, but it was a closet. <laughs> and you're just, it's just amazing that, the guests you handle, the VIPs, the planning and so forth. But my boss, my mentor came into, he said, now don't get comfortable in this role. He said, this is just a step. He said, don't let the ego, he said, you stay focused on learning. Don't stop learning. You know, you're not in the NBA draft yet. You're just being considered. And don't forget. Cause you know, being number three at the Fontainebleau is a prestigious, everybody, they want you to teach. They want you to do everything so you can get stuck, you know, and mm-hmm. you say, don't get stuck here. Just don't get comfortable, he told me. Don't Good make Yeah. And so I didn't. I, I kept working my butt off and never stopped talking about moving to GM job. And I got my first offer to be general manager out in Phoenix at a Hilton Suites. And I accepted and we're planning our going away party and they said hey the general manager training program is next week in orlando we want you to go okay if i go the president of i get there i put my bags in the room and the president knocks on calls me says i need to come see you i'll be right down and the phone I hang up the phone rings and it's leo and he says i know you got to go talk to the president don't get upset and go with it Call me
1: president that. president hilton
0: president hilton so okay. i go down in the lot. i don't even think i've met him before he pulls me aside and he says hey you know we gave you that job i gotta rescind it i gotta take it away said, okay and i was wouldn't have said okay if leo hadn't called me and i said okay what do you want me to do he says i want you to pack up your bags and go back to fontainebleau and don't say a word to anybody so i pack up my bags and i go and knock on the door Is the senior VP of HR. And obviously I knew him cause I used to be in HR. He says, you okay? I said, I'm fine.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: He says, you want to talk about it? And I said, no. <laughs> cause I was told not to. So he says, why not? I said, cause I was told not to. I said, I'll call you when I get back to the Pond Blue. So I drove down that, you know, from Orlando and back to Miami. And I got a phone call from my regional who said, Thank you. The uh, resident manager of the New Orleans Hilton's wife was killed in a car accident. And his family was from the same town where that hotel was. And they couldn't announce. So they wanted to give him that job because he could be closer to his parents with the two kids. Wow. They said, you did right by us. We're going to do right by you. Where do you want to go? And I said, anywhere. San Francisco, L.A., New York. Just as long as it's not someplace like Atlanta. And then transferred me to Atlanta. I'm like, what <laughs> did I do? And they said, no, no, they asked for you. They need you. They're having the Olympics. No one's ever been to, through an Olympics before. So I said, okay. So I came to Atlanta. I was resident manager and it was a great experience because the GM was a regional. Mm-hmm. He basically handed me the keys. He says, listen, unless the building's on fire and you really don't know what to do, don't call me. He says, just because my office is here, you're in charge. Don't call me. So I didn't, I just ran it. We, we went, we were failing in every one of our eight categories. Hilton had a, you know, like guest satisfaction, employee satisfaction, profit, yep. you know, eight value drivers, Bolenbach. We were red in every single category. When you and got there, when I got there, when I left, we were green in every category three years later. And I went to the Omni managing director
1: so when you got there, your first resident manager job, do you remember what it was like the first day when you sat down at your desk and you're like, oh man, I made it? Was that the feeling or was it like, oh man, I got a lot to do here?
0: It was both. I mean, what you got to remember too, the part I didn't talk about through all these promotions is in Hilton, it was very political. It was a lot of who'd you know, who did you, you know, all these things. And, and I believe in staying out of all that. I just figured you know, I was very thorough, very good. I volunteer. you know, I did all the right things, but I, I wouldn't play the politics stuff. I was not good at it. And i missed a lot of promotions probably because of it, but I just, I figured, you know, when I was ready, God, you know, I'm a man of faith and I believed in it and I prayed a lot and I worked real hard and, and never stopped learning. I used to take courses, leadership courses outside of the industry, which was the smartest thing I ever did because I wanted to be different, you know, Whether it was when I was younger, whether it was technology, I felt the difference for me, what would cut me apart from the others was leadership training. True, you know, like whether it was a course from Cornell or Harvard or if it was a FIU, it didn't, you know, something that was different and truly different. But the politics was very real. It's very real. I mean, you know, this gamesmanship, particularly coming out of when you're in a hotel and you're a department head and you're going to become their boss right? very hard. And so when I got to Hilton, it was a little bit different because I, the Atlanta Hilton, because I wasn't, I was in a whole new environment. Everybody worked for me from the day I started. So it made it a little easier, but it also made it challenging. It wasn't my team. I didn't pick one of them. Right,
1: who's this new guy coming in from Fontainebleau? Yeah.
0: I had crazy thoughts. Let's be nice to employees. (laughs) You know. They were like, no.
1: We don't do that here.
0: That's not the way we're (laughs) taught, you know. And we command, we rule, we discipline, we fire. And you know, so a new culture was very hard. And the owner did not was not a culture employee culture. They were the Kuwaiti Investment Corporation. They didn't give employees good health care they didn't believe in 401k they didn't believe in any benefits
1: that was the first time you had to deal with an owner too right
0: oh yeah it was my well no dealt steven musk I dealt with oh, he with was there a lot office. yeah right. Mark was in my office every day
1: okay so you got but good training
0: to your point it really helped me to have that Stephen musk because he was brutal he was just loved the man to death but he was six foot seven four hundred pounds and he pounded his fist on your desk pouring sweat you were like yes sir and you know, so I knew how to deal with strong owners. But the cool thing with the Quaidy investment company is they were money driven, and I was really good. I was the number one rooms profit in the chain, so I knew how to make money. Right. And I said to him, If I can show you by using the Hilton insurance, you'll save money and make more money, will you do it? And he said, well, I'll do it, depends. And I said, No, no, it's got to be all enough. In- Mm -hmm. and he liked that chutzpah and he said okay if you can show me for proof that if i go with the hilton insurance system i all of it which included the 401k the workers comp the whole thing we could save him money and we did but all the employees got insurance and they got their 401k and they got stock ability to buy stock because now we were hilton employees and then more importantly, no one would come to work at that hotel because it was you, when you went to work there, you weren't a Hilton employee. And now you were. So this was the breakthrough. Better people, better results. And that became my greatest achievement because we just skyrocketed. Guest satisfaction went up. Employee satisfaction went up. Guest satisfaction went up. And I had a great mentor. The GM there was amazing to me. He let me be the GM without the title.
1: That's awesome. And,
0: and then a little... A friend of mine, I I was very active in the hotel association. And when the general manager at the Omni down the street said, I'm leaving, another friend who was on the board with us said, you need to apply for that job. And I did. And I was lucky to work for such a prestigious, you know, Ted Turner owned it. It was Omni had just bought Bob Rowling, just bought Omni. And it was a big scene and, you know, a lot going on. And it was a dump of a hotel.
1: So Ted Turner owned the building. He owned an Omni. Was the management company that brought you
0: in? But they were a new management company because they just bought out the old management company.
1: Wow. And Omni, you know, is, they always compared it to Lowe's, where it's like family owned, like kind you know, of the same.
0: Great brand, great consistency. When he came on board, he picked four hotels that he's going to get rid of. We were one of them. He said, You're not in my brand. And he thought it was going to be a, a boutique hotel and a high quality, kind of a small Ritz Carlton, That's what he said. Got it. And here I am telling him, you need to be a convention hotel next to the convention center because we're attached. We, we were next to the convention center. and I wanted to make it a thousand room hotel. And he looked at me the first day I met him. And he says, you're crazy. Said, we can't even run 60 percent occupancy here. Why would we be a thousand rooms? And I said, because we'd build a nice hotel and we'd be attached to the convention center. And mm-hmm. we would build really nice ballrooms and we would become a mega successful hotel, multiple millions. You drank the Kool-Aid and it, I didn't even, I, I don't think I was there less than two months. And I started working on building the expansion of what's now an 1100 room hotel.
1: How big was it when you got there?
0: 475.
1: And so your first time GM on paper convincing the new owners that <laughs> we're going to double this place and add ballrooms Man, that's a lot of guts to yeah, do that and, cool. and believe it. And how did you know? How did you know? Was it a gut or you ran numbers? Did you I, use your yeah, $20,000 computer that you had?
0: <laughs> yeah, I kind of yeah. knew. I was a fanatic for development, you know, that passion to learn and grow. I, I came from, my dad was a real estate guy. So I came from, I grew up in the real estate business and hotel business is real estate, right? Mm-hmm. You're just a vertical and it's all about you know value cap rate land values and when i asked bob rolling about it he said we tried to buy it from ted i said so you see what i see you already know yeah oh, because like, so oh, it. it's a no-brainer and then when i went to ted he said it was insulting what they offered me it was an insult and in fact i want to get rid of him i'm already talking with intercontinental so i had wow. to organize a billion dollar lunch with People bob and each other and ted two billionaires on either side and i was right in the middle and it was so cool, but we got it. They both, they looked at each other and and they said, this place is a dump. And he said, you manage it. He says, yeah, but you, it's your, it's your hotel. He says, well, have you made a proposal, what I should do? And he says, he looks over at the president and says, I hope we have. And he said, he says, no, I think you've been busy trying to buy my hotel instead of fixing my hotel. Wow. And he says, would you be interested if we become a partner with you? He said, at the right price, I would. And that was it. Yeah. By the way, I was still at the Fontainebleau when Donald Trump tried to buy the Fontainebleau from Steve. I, I was there for that billionaire meeting, too. I didn't know that. Yeah, they were in the club lounge. Leo Sloan was down. He was the GM waiting for the at the front door for Donald, Mr. Trump. We called him Mr. Trump. Mm-hmm. He pulled up at the... The ballroom door, the other side. So I was back up in case he, in case they overshot the mark. He came in. He got out of the car. I shook his hands and he says, am I going the right way? And we were walking 90 miles an hour towards the elevators. I said, you are those elevators right there. We got in the Chateau a chateau building, went up to the uh, 14th floor. Oh, doors open. Steve Musk was standing there. They shook hands and Donald Trump said to him, you, you ready to get rid of this tired old lady? And you could see Musa's face starting Turn to get around. red. He said, "Not really. I think she's more of a classic lady than an old lady." And um, but what you have in mind? He says, "I don't know." You know, and he, he gave some very low number. It's like 125 million, I think he said. And Musa said, "Not even in the same category." He said, "Okay, well, thank you then, Steve." Shook his hand and turned around. And we went in the elevator, and the door opened, and the GM was there. And he's, "What happened?" And then Donald said, looked at him, shook his hand and said, thank you very much for your hospitality and got in the elevator. And he said, take me to the ground floor. And I pushed a button, walked him to his car, and then he left. So I come back and Steve's yelling, that mother.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Keep the PG.
0: Mania... <laughs> they were not happy. Steve's a Democrat, by the way. <laughs> so was Donald at the time.
1: Mm hmm. Yeah, things anyway, changed.
0: So they were insulted by each other, but I was very fortunate that we wound up doing a joint venture with Omni and Turner broadcasting. We also were right there when Turner broadcasting sold to time Warner. That was unbelievable. And then time Warner was trying to sell to America online AOL. And they had their, their confidential board meeting in my hotel and he, and Ted let me sit in all the meetings. It was so unbelievable. Cool. And he said to me, Do not. He said he told the board, he said, Look, I love this. It was just 150 people in the audience. He says, Okay, I know I'm gonna say something that you a lot of you aren't gonna know and understand, but let's do this. How many of you are billionaires? Everybody who's a billionaire stand up. And <laughs> nobody stood up. He goes, Oh, that's right. I'm the only billionaire. And I'm the only one. In fact, I'm a billionaire 12 times over. And he said, if you're smart, don't sell this company to AOL. He said, it's the biggest mistake you'll ever make. And it was, they sold it. I remember. And it was a shell. It was a shell of a company. He he lost seven or $8 billion. Anyway, it was an unbelievable experience. I, I went from, that was then I went from that hotel at the Omni hotel at CNN center Sheridan was calling me, uh, a recruiter was calling me and um, I didn't want to leave. I I loved it there.
1: But it sounds like you had a fun owner. Oh, my God. Right. Cool place. Like why? What got you hooked in the same city too, right?
0: And this is a good experience, honest, for everyone who's true. I had a new regional who was like 30 years old. Not even maybe 28 years old, and we were going into a new direction for Omni. We were—I was introducing them to convention center hotels, and people are like, "That's not Omni. We don't want to do that." If you look at Omni today, their bread and butter is is all big public-private
2: partnerships. Yep. You know, mm-hmm.
0: Orlando, Nashville. I mean, just, just every big deal they do today is these big hotels because Bob can make so much money in that. You know, that remember I told you I wasn't very good at the politics. I just felt it wasn't going to be right, you know, and they were pretty transparent about it too. this young man. was like, hey, he, he's I remember he said to me, if you know, you're the managing director here, he said, if we bring in someone, if you if we make this at 1100 room, we'll bring a regional vice president here. And I saw the writing on the wall. I said, oh, I know what you're telling me. So, But the real reason why I took the opportunity was the interview. The guy said to me, he goes, do you want to work for an entrepreneur? Because you're working for the owner. You're going to be like part of the ownership team. There was no management company. It was just the owner. That's exactly what I wanted to do because I had already decided to go in my own business. And so this was the perfect segue. Going from Hilton Super Corporate to Omni, which was family owned, was perfect. And then, from going from family owned to one guy to being in the to you know, a lot of GMs know a lot, but they don't know how taxes work, they don't really know the balance sheet, they don't really know cash flow, they don't know a lot of the owner side of the business. And I knew I wanted to do that, so this hotel I became. He said, You don't have the proverbial keys, you have literally the keys. And you're gonna be on the liquor license. you're gonna be you're gonna be at the owners' meetings with the investors. you're gonna be an investor. And so I was like that's it. I'm in. But I made him pay me a ton of money.
1: That's always good.
0: <laughs> and, that's they, good. and you and got I, to invest. And I got to invest. I got to become a, a part owner not of that hotel but other investments. they had a rule. Of, You Couldn't conflict, which was a mistake. That they cared more,
2: you would have cared more,
0: more. but they used me when, in fact, I'm up here in perimeter right next to the plaza, what's now Crown Plaza. It was a Hyatt, and with no notice, they said, We're gonna buy the Hyatt, go look at it. It's an 800 room hotel, (laughs) it's
2: a good look, go walk,
0: and uh, you know, and I. it was just cool that they would use me in a way that gave me a much broader view of developing hotels. We went from three hotels to, I think, 13 hotels. We had all brands. We were on final notice. When I took the job, we were on final default notice with Starwood as a Sheridan. And we wound up having an amazing turnaround. We became, $8 million profitable from an $8 million loss. Uh, It took me five years, but it took me one year to start making it almost profitable. And then by the second year we were profitable, but to really be making, you know, from an $8 million loss to an $8 million game was gigantic. But that's what launched my business. I'm in now I went,
1: right. That was my next question. So you're the GM, you're doing great with this company. You've got investment with it. Why make that change into being your own business?
0: It's, you know, it's, it's a niche. I mean, it's an itch. It's something you want to do or you don't. And in hindsight, I did, I had gotten some great mentors before I did. I started two years out, which you did, you know, started talking years before you left. And it was funny. At one point, your dad was in a law firm and he wanted to go out on his own. Uh, did you ever know that? Did he went on his own one time?
1: I remember that. It didn't last very long though. No,
0: he, was, <laughs> he, he quickly said, this is not for me. I mean, you have to really be you, like you, you have to be very willing to do a lot of things and real hard work. And and not just your dad doesn't work hard. I don't know there's a lawyer that works harder, but just it's some people are good for entrepreneurs. Some are more better in the corporate, you know? And, and I mean, look at how many years he's been with that firm. It's incredible. And, you know, I couldn't do that. I, I was too, and I didn't want to move You know, out of family and kids. And I was like,
1: Right, you so, moved a lot. You moved all over the country. I moved
0: already. By the time I took started my business, I had moved eleven times, and I was like, okay.
1: Yeah, which I give up to you because I, nothing. I I never wanted to. I just liked my city, and that was how I could move up. Was you had to hop around different hotels, yeah, right, right to know. move up. I didn't want to leave.
0: Well, I wasn't as good as Steve Turk. So oh I yeah, move. I
1: had to. Move. Maybe I played the politics a little bit better.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But it was fun. And, you know, I mean, I, my story is my story. You know, the, the, I think the message for everybody is go create your story. One of the first things I do when I, I teach at Georgia State and have, I'm in my 15th year and I, I have the students write their first bio. I said, have you written your bio? And they're like, what's a bio? You know, and I,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and I tell them it's your story. Just tell it in a third person as if you're the public relations director of yourself and write it. And you know, where you're from, were you on the baseball team? Were you did you know, were you a really great basketball player like Steve Turk? You know? You know, what's your story? What made you different, you know? And something fun, something different, some if you can talk about promotions or achievements. And then throughout the semester, have them rewrite it a couple more times, you know. It's really what do you want your story to be? You know, who are you and what do you want to be? And that way it's your story. You know if you're in our business you better be very committed to helping other people that's what i believe deeply and that's really the success of our business you know no matter what level you're at today we invest in asset managed hotels we
1: yeah so let's talk about today so you started your company you started panther hospitality which then you've gone into now what is called horwath htl so tell us tell us yeah. what, what is that so
0: i actually i started panther hospitality
1: in
2: mm-hmm.
0: December 8th of 2005, about 30 days after officially legally I started that, guess who's what law firm I called to help me start it? <laughs> yep, but I had started it really two years before, just like that be your in your mind, the GM. So I started being the owner, the development side really excited me. So when I before I even left Sheridan and I was open and honest with the guys who I worked for, I said, listen, I'm looking at some real estate, you know, maybe you guys can invest with it. And they're like, you're running our hotel. I said, Oh yeah. And you will have the best results you ever had this year. Don't worry. You'll never, I'm not going to take anything away from what you're doing. It's it's nights and weekends. They were very concerned about it, but they, you know, they said, okay, we understand. But I, I really worked very hard to never give them any feeling that I was, because I wasn't really doing anything. I didn't want to legally start my business until I was on my own. But I was pretending and I was visualizing it. I would go to seminars and workshops. And, you know, I, I heard a friend who said to me, You need a good accountant. So I got a good accountant. I said, You need a great real estate lawyer. So I got a really great real estate lawyer. Another friend said to me, Get, you know, some advisors. So I had a board. I had a board of advisors. And really this was the foundation. And but I didn't, you know, having a goals and having written goals and having this culture of learning was deep embedded in me already. So everything I was doing was new, but that wasn't that was okay because that's kind of how I ran my, you know, how I was an employee. Yeah, you're like curious. That that's awesome. Yeah, I was curious. I loved yeah. it. And we saved. We were ready. We saved the money. It was and the and the to the credit of Amerimar and Angelo Gordon, they really funded my first year. They were so good to me. I was good to them, but they were really good to me. They basically launched me in the first year. They gave me a big check.
1: And they are, who are they?
0: That's who owned the Sheridan. They got 8 million cash, so they were pretty happy. Yeah. And they eventually sold it for a lot of money. But you couldn't go to your boss and say, you owe me or anything like that. No one felt they owed each other. It was just a gratitude. You know, it was just, I was grateful for what they did. It was a launching pad. And then it was hard, you know to get your first customer, but you come to realize the people who you know, know you best are really where your source of business comes from. And then once you take care of one, they refer you to two, and then two becomes four and four becomes 10. But it's all about raving fans. If you have raving fans, they are your marketing department. And um,
1: yeah, you've stuck in my head because that's now in the short time I've gone, that's what's happened, right? Like now yeah. I have a second hotel client based off of someone yeah being a raving fan right it's just amazing to see how it continues to grow that way
0: right and you 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 have to have the knowledge experience trustworthiness capability Mm -hmm. all those things are tools in your tool belt but they don't get your business until you you got to go out and earn it you've got to get everybody to say hey i I trust this guy and you know we in 2021 we transacted we sold two hotels for owners they made millions of dollars literally millions of dollars We're very fortunate that we have the opportunity to do that. We'll have we we think, you know, we took on a portfolio of six Marriott's about 10 years ago and we turned it around and just made them millions. and they became our they became our cheerleaders like they they went out of their way to go find (laughs) because every hotel had 27 owners. So they became, you know, if social media back then was a lot, you know, it was, it, as much as it is today, it would have, it was crazy. And that's really, oh, seven years ago though, I, I was approached by Harwath. eight years ago.
1: So you had your company Panther, Horwath yeah. comes to you and says.
0: They literally, ironically, the guy who came to me just joined Harwath, but he was a paid recruiter. And so he called me and he says, we, can I meet with you on when I'm at Hunter investment conference? And I said, yeah. And what do you do? And he tells me what he does. I said, Oh, you're in what I do. So we went to have coffee and two minutes into it, he's, he pushes a, a logo, a Harwath company brochure to me. And he says, what do you think? And I said, for what? He says, do you want to be part of Harwath? And I said, Oh no, I'm sorry. I didn't know that's what this is about. I'm, I'm very happy being an entrepreneur. He says, no, you stay an entrepreneur. It's just like, a underbranded hotel becoming a Hilton. And I said, oh, it's a franchise. And he said, it's not quite a franchise, but it's similar. Mm-hmm. And I said, tell me more. And so we sat there for two hours, and he gave me the phone numbers of the people who were owned Harwath offices. I called them, and they were great. And I said, I'm interested. I'm very interested. And I called my mentors, like my advisors, my board, and everyone, and they all were supportive, Bob included. Of course, Bob was had two pages of of what to think about.
1: Yes, a lot of notes. A lot of notes
0: all to, you know, think of this, check on this. Yeah. And so it turned out to be great. It's a global network of firms. And I was able to become part of Harwath. Within less than a year, I became the co chair of America. And then within another three months I was the chairman for North America. It's amazing. And I, re- I held that position for six years and there's nothing better than being the immediate past chairman. But I really didn't. That wasn't my goal. I didn't want to be. I'd have no interest in being the chair of Horwath. I want to run my own business. I want my business to grow, you know, And but I felt my job was to help the others. Now this guy was doing it as a marketing guy and he liked he loves it. It's he's in, you know, it's a big ego and I, I don't give a crap, you know.
1: Well, yeah. you're crushing and doing what you're doing. I see it. And yeah, I love it. love it. you know what I want to get to, cause I know Ooh. I've gone over on the time I had with you and I'm, I want Sorry. to be, no, no, it's, it's your time. Right. But I want to make sure that for someone starting out, maybe they're like that manager that you were over, you know, in training and just getting started right now is a challenging time. Right. Especially in, in the hotel or hospitality, you know, vacation rentals, restaurants everywhere. Right. But in the hospitality, well, Industry. What would you tell someone coming up right now if they want to get to that GM level or CEO level? What would you tell them to do? I, I,
0: well, I'm a first a, a praying man of faith. I believe you first start with your faith and pray feverishly as if there's nothing else that matters. But I also believe you have to have written goals. Don't just write. Don't just dream about or say it. Say what you want to say. Write it out and put a date to it. And put real action items to it. So prayer and written goals with action plan. And then do a 360. Meet with the people around you and learn what you you don't know. I'll tell you very quickly: I was in a Bible study, and my wife, we were sharing a Bible, and there was in Proverbs, there was a basically a wise man heeds advice, a fool will rebel or resist. And my wife circled it, wrote my initials next to it. And I thought, oh my God, she's telling me that I'm not taking advice well. And you know, your ego gets in your way. Ego is edging God out. And you can have a good ego and that's called exalting God only. And one of the things that I just learned is that I really need to change. I need to become more humble. I need... You know, it's not about being the biggest guy in the room. It's about being the most humble in the room. So I think having written goals, being deep in your faith, but really asking people, what am I missing? People who will be honest with you.
1: Right. And, people are afraid to do that.
0: Yeah. And people who you ask are like, I'm not saying anything. Are you kidding me? I want to be your friend. I don't want to lose our friendship, you know? And, you know, you'll ha- you even have to prime the pump. You have to say, look, I'll tell you one thing if you tell me one thing will help each other. What's my blind spot? You know, what don't I see? What am I truly missing? And if you can surround yourself with people that you trust and that are successful, that will truly tell you that, even if you have to pay them, I mean, they'll do it for your golf game, right? They'll tell you, oh man, your slice, your game or your basketball game, but you need mentors and mentees that will tell you real feedback. So those are my Quick thought. I have many more, but they're for sale.
1: (laughs) So we'll end on that. So if somebody wants to connect with you, what's the best way to find you?
0: Call Steve Turk.
1: Call me. He's on my advisory board. You can check him out. He's right there on Um, the website.
0: I'm on LinkedIn, you know, Harwath HTL. You can reach me, but there's a lot of us on there. I still have my pantherhospitality.com, but I don't mind sharing my phone number. It's 770 880 4143. But if you want to reach me, Paul Breslin, you, you know, hotel guy or whatever, you'll, I'll, I'll come up. But I may not be, you know, and I'd love to talk to you if you want, but the, the, you'd be surprised. It's just like hotel sales, start with the people closest to you first. Mm-hmm. You know, don't go out selling to your customer in New York if you're in Miami until you really, you know, what do your neighbors think of you? What do your employees think of you? What are your, you know, investors, you know, how? start with the closest to you and then work your way out. You'd be amazed at what they'll tell you if you're willing to listen.
1: I think that's a great advice and a, and a great piece to end on. Paul, I appreciate you so much Thank for you. taking the time to be on the podcast. I learned a ton, and I've always talked to you. I appreciate you always sharing Thank so God. openly. And, and I'm
0: so proud of you, Steve. I just got to tell you, you, you've got chutzpah, you're smart, and you recognize that your wife is smarter than you.
1: That's just <laughs> listen. I marry up. That's how we work me here. Too, baby. Me too. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you. Another edition of the, the podcast is done, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you.